0: All right. Good morning, everyone. We're excited to have you with us to worship God, to lift him up, say all that is good and true, and to bring that to our hearts and minds. Let's sing out. Let's stand up and worship him together.
1: May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth is in heaven for your
0: one of the things that we do is we talk about all the truths about God. We list them. We use it to spur us on, to remind us, to bring us hope, and to show God's glory, that he's great. So as we sing, let's sing those out together. Bless the Lord, oh my
1: soul. Oh my soul, I worship His holy name. Seem like never before.
0: Oh my
1: soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun. It's time to sing your song. I worship your holy: name.
0: I love getting my braces tightened.: I love folding laundry. Could you please keep smacking your gum?: Gas prices are looking pretty good right now. <laughs> hey, <laughs> cough in my direction. I'm so glad I got a zoom instead of an iPod. Thanks, Microsoft. Star Wars is nothing without Jar Jar Banks. I'm really glad you paid me in change.
2: Hey, uh, can I burn a copy of your Nickelback CD?
0: I'm so glad I ate six Chalupas. I wish my yard had more gophers. <laughs> All right. This is the second week of our Stuff Nobody Says, The Surprising Sayings of Jesus series. And this week, we're going to have a worship concert. We've only done a couple of those a year. It's not something we do every week, so if you're a guest with us, we only, we only do this one, once or twice a year. But if you're here for the worship music, if that's your favorite part of the church, then you're in for a treat this weekend. I'm also gonna be preaching throughout little chunks throughout the worship. And first, I wanna talk about worship itself. Let's start with Psalm 95, which is one of the parts of the Bible that defines what worship is and why we do it and how we should do it. So read with me Psalm 95, one through seven. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is great. He's a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. Let's pray together. God, we come with an expectation that you will work in us, that you'll heal, that you'll encourage, that you'll give us your peace and your joy because you love us. We thank you, God, and we ask that you would move in us and in our lives. We ask that you bring healing and your kingdom to the people who were affected by the shooting in Aurora, Colorado, on early Friday morning, we're asking that you'd bring your hope, bring your cross, bring your healing into the lives of everyone down there and everyone affected by the tragedy. You're a good God and we love you, we're making this invitation to you, in Jesus' name, amen. So first, what is worship? The answer in the Bible and the answer of text, the text Psalm 95 is worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that it energizes and engages your whole being, the whole person, your mind, will, and emotions. It's really easy in this text to outline three calls in verse 1, 6, and 7. Verse 1, we're called to worship with our emotions. It's emotional language, sing, shout aloud, thanksgiving. Secondly, in verse six, we're called to worship him with our will, not just our emotions, with our will, because language in that verse is that of submission, volition, come, kneel, bow down. And then in verse seven, it's the language of reason. It's the language of thinking. Hear his voice, listen to his voice, accept what he says, it's the language of, Of thinking and understanding. So from this passage, we see that worship is something that engages your mind, your will, and your emotions, your entire being. And this is extremely important to understand, because if you go do some kind of ritual, you affirm doctrines and beliefs without ever experiencing in your inner being this ravishing sense of beauty and joy, it's not worship. If you don't, emotionally connect, you're not worshiping. Or on the flip side, you could go to a service and experience great emotion, you could weep, you could have an emotional experience, but if it doesn't change the way you live, if it doesn't change your character, if it doesn't change your life patterns, it's not really worship. So what the text says is that submission to God without joy or on the other hand, shouting and singing without submitting to the commands of God in your life is not real worship. You may be having a cultural experience. You may be having an emotional experience or an aesthetic experience. But it's not worship. Worship entails the entire being. But how do we worship with our entire being? By assigning ultimate value to God. God and what do I mean by that? So if you look at the psalm, you see that all the emotion, this great engagement that the psalmist is having is stemming from something the psalmist is doing in verse one and two. He says, sing and shout, come before him with singing. For, because he is great, he's king, he holds in his hands the depths of the earth, the mightiest mountains, the sea is his, his hands formed the dry land. And then look at verse six. Let us worship and bow down and kneel for he is our God, our God. He's not just a great God, he's our God. He is a shepherd who watches over his flock, under his care, and he's entered into relationship with us. And he's made us his people. All the emotion and all the worship All the life transformation that's happening in the psalm is coming from something the psalmist is doing right there. He's taking an inventory. It's an inventory of all the excellences of God. He's going over them, he's going through them, he's enumerating them, he's reflecting on them until there's an explosion in his life of worship. The best illustration uh, that I know of of what it means to ascribe ultimate value is this one I found. Imagine with me a woman who's inherited a piece of jewelry, a brooch, which she's inherited from her mother. She's got it from her mother. She got it from her mother. It's been around the family for years. Nobody quite knows where it came from and nobody quite knows what it's worth. And half the time, they don't even know where it is And then one day the woman finds the brooch again and says, oh yeah, that old thing, I think I'll get it appraised. So she takes it to this jeweler and the jeweler puts the little magnifying glass called a jewelry loop in his eye and he starts looking at this brooch. He starts looking at things and he notices the way the facets refract refract the light. He notices colors. He notices texture. And bit by bit, he's looking at it and he's thinking about it. And all of a sudden, Several minutes of this pass by and then his jewelry loop pops out of his eye and he starts to have labored breathing and he starts to feel faint because he realizes that this is some lost, ancient, unique piece of jewelry. The craft with which it was made has vanished from the face of the earth and nobody knows how to do it anymore. It's unique in its beauty. It's priceless and suddenly All his mind and will and emotion are engaged, and the reason all that is happening is because he realizes the value of what he has in his hand. He realizes what he has in his hands is more valuable than all the jewels in the shop, all the jewels he's ever had in the shop for 30 years. And of course, when the woman comes to understand the true value of the thing, she's just astounded, she's thunderstruck and she realizes she has not been living in accordance with the value of what she had. Because she didn't understand the true value of it, she wasn't living at all the way she ought to be living. Meaning her entire life has changed now that she sees the value of the brooch. That illustration is better than any illustration I can think of that I know of to tell you what worship is. The psalmist is calling us to do exactly what the jeweler does. It starts rationally, he's inspecting it, he's thinking. It starts by looking at who God is and what he's done, enumerating, and inventorying until it goes through and dawns on you the value, the beauty of who God is. The reason I can't come up with a better illustration is that the very English word worship comes from the Old English, worth-ship, which means worship is to see what God is worth and to give him what he's worth, to see and grasp his worth in such a way that you begin to live in accordance with it. We know from surveys and polls that most people in the country believe in God in the sense that they have God, they say they even pray, and sometimes believe maybe a creator. And most people believe in God, or have God the way the woman had the brooch, completely unaffected, completely unaware of the value of him. The difference between a common, limp along, just get along life, and that transformed by worship a life shot through with thanksgiving and joy is not the difference between not believing in God and believing in God. It's the difference between not believing in God and believing in God and worship. It's worship that does it. The worship is an act of ascribing ultimate value to God seeing what he's worth, living in accordance with it in such a way that it transforms your whole life. That's worship, nothing less. It's not just a little inspiration, a little pick-me-up on the weekends or when you're driving in your car listening to the radio and singing or it's not even a part of feeling like you're in a community. It's ascribing ultimate value to God in such a way that it galvanizes, electrifies and changes your whole life. That's what worship is. So as we continue worshiping, set your whole being, your mind, your will, and emotion to engage God. Connect the words. List them. We'll be doing that together. Enumerating. Connecting with them. And allow yourself to worship the living God. There are lots of little gods that we, that we are freaked out by. We break up with girlfriend or boyfriend and you're freaked out. You're worried about money, freaking out about it. It's a little God in your life. And the difference is that's a dead God. It's not real. It's not alive. And we worship a living God. So let's worship him together. Feel free to stand or sit, whatever posture of worship will helps you connect, sing together. Just like the
1: sunshine, you've been on, leading us into beautiful places. Walk through fire. You made us brighter, leading us into beautiful.
2: Shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbade to shine.
0: You can take a seat. We're going to take communion together today. And this is where I'm going to talk about the surprising sayings of Jesus, stuff nobody says. He says something that on the night he was betrayed, he says something no one ever said. And no one has said since. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 30. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and freaked out the disciples. He gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood. Which confirms the covenant between God and his people. Weirdest Passover ever at that up until that point. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And then he talks about the future. He says, Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn, and they went to the Mount of Olives. I also put the other passages in the New Testament that talk about that on your notes page, so you can look at that later. But they're basically identical, and they say the same thing, that Jesus said, this bread is my body. Why did he say that? Why did he say the wine is my blood? Nobody says anything like that. Why did Jesus Christ choose a meal as the ultimate symbol of his death? Why do you do that? First of all, it's because a meal has to be personally appropriated, which means you have to eat it and take it in for yourself. You can look at a table full of food and say, that is a great cake. That's a nice entree. You can say all that. You can know that. You can believe in it. But there's no nutritional value in believing in it or saying that. No nutritional value in praising it. It's it's a nice salad. There's no nutritional value. You could starve to death doing that. And in the same way, you can believe in the cross. You can believe Jesus died for your sins in some general way. But have you personally appropriated it? Have you stepped out in faith? Have you said, save me? Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross have you personally made it your own? You know, I went to church growing up and I I believed in God. Like, like it just seemed right, true to me, but I hadn't made it my own. Have you personally made it your own? Have you said, He did this for me? I'm going to live my life on the basis of that. Am I gonna ascribe ultimate value? It has to be personally appropriated, and then it also has to be continually appropriated. Jesus said, each time you gather, do this. And that's the other thing about a meal. When Jesus Christ says, my death is like a meal, he's saying, you know, it's not enough just to have one meal, is it? You can't say, wow, I had this great meal in 1980. Haven't needed to eat since, I'm still picking it out of my teeth, it's really good. You don't. I don't think so. You're going to die if you do that. You have to keep eating. Here's what Jesus says. Do this in remembrance of me. What does that mean? Well, remember in this case literally means it's your job to take what I did on the cross and put it in the center of your consciousness. Remember, remake it a part of your life. Each time you take the bread and the wine, stick it it in the center of your life. In other words, Jesus is calling us out to think out and live out the implications and ramifications of the cross in every area of our lives. Is there anyone here who's haunted by something in your past? You just can't get over that thing in your past, something that you did, some terrible failure you, that you did? The cross wipes that out. Are you going through some suffering right now, amazing suffering, and you're mad? And you're saying, I don't see how God could bring anything good out of this. Imagine with me how many people were sitting around the cross as Jesus Christ the most wonderful man, the most wonderful person they ever knew was up there dying, tortured, and they're looking up. You can just imagine people saying, I don't see how God could bring any good out of this. And and they lost their faith right there, looking at the cross, which is the most incredible thing that God ever did for the human race. And they may have lost their faith because they couldn't work it into their little categories, into their little understanding. Here's how the average person looks at suffering. They say, because I can't think of any reason why this would happen, then there can't be any reason why it would happen. Because I can't think of any good reason, there can't be any good reason. And the cross says that the greatest failures, and the greatest suffering could be a way for God to do something incredibly good. Something on the surface looks like a disaster. It could end up being something that's turned to gold. All that is gold is not glitter. Not all of those that that wander are lost. Do not judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a circumstance by its cover. If you bring the cross in, you can handle your past. If you bring the cross in, you can handle the suffering. And another thing, bringing the cross in, you never lose hope. Never. Notice the future reference of this. Jesus continually says, I won't eat this again till I eat it with you in the kingdom. You know what he's saying? He's saying this meal is just a foretaste of bliss, a foretaste of absolute joy. And I've... I've secured that with my dying. He's saying it's guaranteed. And whenever you eat the Lord's Supper, think on this. Do you remember that place in John 2? Jesus is about to do his first miracle. He's making water into wine. I love, I love that. It's his first miracle. He's surrounded by joy at this wedding. And he's sitting there thinking about his death. And again, I'm making this wine. This is gonna be my blood. I'm gonna use this as a reference to what's about to happen to me. One man said, Christ sat in the midst of joy, sipping the coming sorrow. But you know what this means for us is because he died for us. You know what that means? It means now you can sit in the midst of sorrow, incredible sorrow, all around us, and sip the coming joy. There's always hope. Our bad things will turn to good. Our good things can never be taken from us. And the best things are yet to come. And when you partake of communion, you are sipping the coming joy. Because his death has secured your future. It's secured it. It's our hope. It's our joy. It's It's our joy in the midst of sorrow. It's why we can worship at all times. Because God takes the worst things in life and redeems them. We're gonna take communion today, also known as the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. Eucharist is a reference to when Jesus says, give thanks when he broke the bread. It means thanksgiving. This is Paul's instruction on communion, so let's read that together. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29 On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it for every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And he has a caution. He says, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup of Without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon you. So you need to be right before you accept Christ's sacrifice through communion. You can't hold anger in your heart. You can't hold resentment. You can't hold on to that. You have to forgive and accept that. And this is what Christ means forgive as i've forgiven you that's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died so for the rest of our time together feel free to come up to one of these tables around the room gluten-free is in the back we set up a lot of stations for communion here at journey and the reason we do that is not so we can rush through it really fast it's actually so you can feel free to take your time preparing your hearts praying in front of the elements Connecting in that way, right in front of them at the table. They represent the body and blood of Christ broken and spilled out for you. Take time in your seats to do business with God to get right before you do that. And we're actually hoping and encouraging people to take time engaging with God. We have time to do that, so don't feel for, like you need to rush. This is the time to do that transaction with God. Let's sing out together.
1: is our God.
2: And crowns for the faithful This is our God To so call upon his name He is a mighty saint this is our God.
1: The old-
0: continue through worship by taking an offering. If you're a guest with us today, this offering is for those of us who call Journey Church our home. I wanna respond as Paul talks about by setting aside a consistent amount of what God has given us, giving back to him, keeping us humble, keeping us focused, that he has given us everything we have, all that is good comes from him. Giving back with joy, with thanksgiving, being generous, being generous people choosing generosity and if you're a guest with us today feel free to let the back pass by we want to focus in on worship let's sing out together
1: everyone needs compassion love that's never failing let mercy fall on Everyone needs forgiveness The kindness of a Savior The hope of a nation Savior, He can move the mountains My God is mighty to save mighty to save forever author of salvation he rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave Failures fill my life again. I give my life to Father. has conquered the the chain Hope, my freedom, my hope, dear <laughs> Years ago, days of old Magic filled the air But in the darkest depths of mortar I met a girl so fair The goat and the evil one Dump and crept away with a her